Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. This is episode number 70, and in front of me, I have a big steaming hot mug of unleavened tea, which, as a lot of people will know, is what the members of the Jewish community drink during Passover, unleavened tea. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you could leaven. Is that right, John? Uh, I'm not. It's been a while since I... (laughs) Read the Old Testament. I wasn't sure that you could leaven tea. (laughs) (laughs) It's a small sacrifice that uh, the members of the Jewish community make, and I embrace all the world's faiths. Mm. So here I am. Drinking some unleavened tea. I'm drinking some unleavened tea, and I've also... uh, (laughs) Did you just come up with that now? Now? Yeah, about five (laughs) minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is unleavened, I guess. Because it's incapable of... I mean, my shirt is also unleavened. Uh, it's just incapable of leavening. <laughs> and I want to say that I'm here with my number one pod... Pay, um, <laughs> I've done... I've done no preparation for this episode. <laughs> Not even, can't even um, be fucked okay. improvising. Pod uh, person. Pack. This is my number one pod package. Shonkalonka. I actually have done quite a bit of prep. I just yeah, didn't just do not the, for this I just, bit. I just ran out of pea sounds. Yeah, the, un, the unleavened bit took ages because I was like, okay, nothing rhymes with 70. Mm. So what'll be funny is if I really force some phrase that doesn't really fit and then I was like, unleavened. Tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I could think about was the 70 was 70 is the mandatory retirement age of high court justices in Australia. No way. And uh, I think that's timely because, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to bring in politics, but maybe uh, other courts around the world could consider that as a mandatory retirement yeah. age. So they don't have octogenarian idiots making terrible laws. (laughs) So you're back in Australia. I'm back in Australia, yeah. I'm back in my familiar pod cabin. I want to say in, yeah, I love that pod cabin. Mm. I'm jealous of how sound without having to treat the room. Mm. You've got a very nice sounding pod cabin there. And I want to say in the broadest Australian accent possible, which tends to be sort of my impression of Julia Gillard is kind (laughs) of when I... When I'm sort of going into like Australian accent, yeah, I like to just kind of sound exactly like my fellow Adelaidean Julia Gillard, mm-hmm. and I say, "John, welcome back to Australia, and welcome back to the podcast." <laughs> That's good. Is that, how's that on your ears? That's yeah. It's um, it, I knew it would be pretty grating getting back to the Australian accent. There's always a <laughs> there's always a reimmersion point, and today I was going to meet some people. Um, for lunch and I was in an Uber and on the radio was your classic sort of um, call in and comment on the footy AM radio sports commentary. So it was all like, okay, here we go. We got Chris from Broadmeadows. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I reckon they should fucking sack the cage. (laughs) 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 I mean, how many bloody chances do you want to give him? How many chances? How many times has this footy club 
going to give him a chance. If he's not bloody delivering, he's tearing the heart out of this club. (laughs) Exactly. And I was like, oh, man, I've never felt, I didn't feel quite back in Australia, but I do now. And I thought that I would say something about, Something about me that I'm going to say mm-hmm. is that is that I've I like this kind of revolutionary approach to the segue that mm. we've come up with where <laughs> just manhandling is <laughs> the segue. Something that I'm going to say about me now is <laughs> it's funny. I, I came up I came up with that like because because <laughs> I I was trying to. I was trying to come up with a way to not use filler words. This is pre-podcast, mm-hmm. but I was coming up trying to come up with a way to not use filler words because, <laughs> of course, people say arm and ah. And so I started doing this thing in conversations where instead of saying um or ah, I just replace <laughs> it with something that I'm going to say is. Because <laughs> it, it sort of feels the same role. Yeah. Like, especially if you want to – because people would be like – and then, or, or people will say things like anyway, and I always hated mm, that. So, mm. you know, people would say anyway. So and instead y- of doing that, I would say, and then, and then, and so we finished up at the restaurant, and then, you know, we had to think of something else to do for the night. So that was a good night. And something else I'm going to say is <laughs> that yesterday. <laughs> and you can just let it, you can just let it linger like, and something else I'm going to say is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's more honest. Yeah. Because. The person goes, oh, he's something else he's going to say is coming next. Yeah, they know you're not trailing off. You're just leading yeah. into something else. Yeah, you're still you're still present. Mm. So something, yeah. So something else I'm going to say is that I have been doing uh, something that I always wanted to add to my morning routine. Something that I've always wanted to add to my personal development toolkit, but I've always been too afraid. <laughs> yeah, I've mentioned it a little bit on the podcast, but I've really, 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 really been doing it for a week. Mm-hmm. And that's taking cold showers, like proper cold showers every single morning. Mm -hmm. And you'd never guess that it was uh, driven by an attempt to save a few pennies a day (laughs) (laughs) from the the whole bag. The gas crisis. The gas prices over here are going to get a little bit crazy. Yeah. Uh, So I'm trying to actually not use any, because my house is heated with all the water's heated with gas, mm-hmm. and and I actually have a gas meter in my apartment, so I can literally see. I can just open a door, my closet, my little storage closet, and I can see how much hot water I'm using. Mm-hmm. And so I've been washing my dishes in cold, mm. and I've been I've been washing my dirty dishes, and I've been washing my dirty body with <laughs> ice cold water. And I've been timing myself every morning because when I started, oh my days, <laughs> I could last. 20 seconds maybe. Yeah. And uh, yesterday I hit a personal best at one minute 40. The interesting thing about it, I know you've got a bit of experience with cold showers as well. The interesting thing about it is that it's like when you jump into a body of cold water, the shock comes and goes, in my experience, in quite a short window. So Mm. you jump into the cold water. It's an extreme shock, Mm. but it's quite momentary. You're talking like- Mm. Maybe 10 seconds, you quickly swim around yeah. and then you start to acclimatize. The cold shower thing is not like that. No, it's like it's true. It hits you and you go, oh, this is awful for 20 seconds. And then 30 seconds. Oh, it's a bit more awful. And then 40 <laughs> seconds. And you true. go, it's just getting worse. Yeah. I cannot, I, I can't have it, it get increasingly worse for 10 minutes. I'll die. Yeah. 
So yeah. uh, so I'm up to 140. Anyway, That's good. You're a, you're a coldman. You've been a coldman. I have. That was when my gas heater broke down and I kind of used it as an opportunity to experiment with um, this with the Wim Hof method of yeah. taking bracing cold showers as a way to invigorate myself at the beginning of the day. And it did work. I mean, I did feel a strange sense of well-being, which I'm pretty sure is just your body thanking you for getting out of the cold shower at the end. But <laughs> um, but it was satisfying nonetheless. How long could you last? I don't I don't reckon I could go one minute forty, but I was uh, I was probably you know over a minute by the end because I I think it depends a little bit on the ambient temperature, and this unfortunately was during quite a cold period in Melbourne, so that makes it a little Fuck. bit more difficult. Um, from sort of day one to day five, I definitely lasted a little bit longer, and I think because you can just mentally, you know what you're in for a bit more, and you can sort of mentally prepare yourself for totally. it. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I was in two minds when the gas heater was restored to its normal function. I thought maybe I should continue this, but of course I didn't. And I think now I don't want to go back. I think you should take a hammer to that gas unit and mm. just see what Jacinta says. Yeah. Thank, she, no doubt she'll be grateful for all the bucks we're saving. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we, we heat the house with gas and we heat the water with gas. So I'm not looking forward to the next gas bill because it's going to be pretty astronomical, I fear. I got a lot of my inspiration for the for, for the cold showers from my dear Irish friend Owen Kane. Hmm. He's so funny because he he's not the type of person to he's very unlike mm-hmm. me in that he doesn't sort of desperately boast to get people to like him all the time. He just sort of keeps <laughs> himself to himself. So you'd never know that he took cold showers. And I always forget, but then we were I can't remember if I mentioned this. We were on holiday together recently right. and I went into the bathroom to take a shower after him and the cold tap was just like all the way on and I was like, that's right, this mad fucker takes cold showers every <laughs> single day. Wow. And <clears throat> I think his dad just told him to do it when he was younger huh. for, and, he, and he just started doing it. And hmm. he's just said to me, I was like, how do you do it? Oh, and he goes, to be, to be honest, Alex, I've been doing it so long now that for me, like... A hot shower is just not a shower. Mm. We don't understand why you'd have a hot shower at the hmm. whole point. Because I guess he sees the point of a shower is like, yeah, a bit of cleanliness. Mm. But it's meant to be a kind of invigorating, yeah. life-affirming yeah. experience. Yeah. And I guess if you have a, a a warm shower, that's just, it's just, what's the point? It's like getting a sort of massage. Yeah, it's, it's true. Warm. It's a pretty different experience. Although, I don't know, I, I treat it a bit like... You know when you have a shirt that maybe you've kind of sweated into a couple of times and you really need to put the uh, put it through its paces to get it back to its clean, normal yeah. state. <laughs> and I feel a bit the same about my uh, my body sometimes that <laughs> it needs scalding temperatures. <laughs> to melt away, to boil off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got to hop in a hot broth to boil. <laughs> it's like, it's like... Your body's a little bit like, uh, you know, groundwater that you might need to drink. It's probably best <laughs> exactly. to just give it a bit of a boil first. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The uh, the microbial properties of my body are such that the safe option is to make it as hot as physically possible. <laughs> 
So, John, I feel like, judging by the amount of messages that we got this week from, <laughs> yeah. from Don't Praises, yep. there might be something that you want to say something on. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, it's quite a... It's quite a momentous thing that's happened to us in terms of the, <laughs> to, the us. to us in terms of the degree of <laughs> degree of interest that I think we've brought to this uh, otherwise fairly dormant issue. But was in uh, bed the other day, just watching as I do every morning, uh, Kevin Hart and Dwayne the Rock Johnson outtakes on YouTube, <laughs> and I. <laughs> and, because they're such an endearing pair of buddies. In another another biggie and smally comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My favourite genre, biggie and smally comedy. And, uh, and I heard a beep on my phone and seconds later my reality was shattered. Uh, and that is, of course, because there's been a momentous development in the Summerton Man case. And in fact, Man. the beeping on my phone that morning was uh, was a portent of things to come. I think we both received, as you alluded to, a lot of uh, correspondence about this issue. Uh, people were yeah, it was lovely. It was really nice. People were people were basically messaging me at about forty five minute intervals for most of the day. <laughs> and I might I might actually do a quick run through. Of, I, I hope I've I probably have missed people, but. Um, but for example, just to give you a few of, a few of the don't praises who I heard from and I'm grateful to have heard from, we heard from Patrick. I think you might have heard, we might have sure. both heard from Patrick, Californian correspondent Patrick. Yeah, he 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 went outside of his very narrow remit of West Coast <laughs> food delivery systems, drones. Yes. <laughs> Carlin, Kyle, my cousin Kyle. Tom Roberts, who famously featured on... Really? Tom Roberts wrote to you? Yeah, he oh, wrote to me. that's nice. I like that he wrote to you because he obviously has you pegged as the Summerton man. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And not me, which I like. <laughs> and I think it was a mix... I think it was primarily people who'd heard about it on the podcast or heard about heard us talking about it on the podcast, but then also mm. it is the kind of thing that people know will sort of tickle my fancy. So Yeah, that's great. They, they're kind of writing to me about it anyway. Uh, Lockie, who's a Don't Praise Her. Rob, who's a don't praiser I've mentioned on the cast before, Brett, uh, Brunty. Yeah, go on. Um, I think we heard from don't praiser Colin. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Colin emailed us. And I think I should also just give a big thanks to the people that reached out to me as well. I want to say massive big ups to Mama Marie, Cousin Hannah's, Auntie Paula, Sam Cook. Dom Renfrey and Murako and Zimmer, they all reached out and they let me know that they want to hear fresh and direct from John about the Summerton Man developments. The Summerton Man case, for those of you who are listening and are unfamiliar with it, is something that we have mentioned a couple of times previously on the show. First on Way back in episode nine, uh, we, wow. we talked about the Summerton man and his exhumation in Adelaide, which I'll yeah, uh, which I'll give a quick recap on in a moment. And then subsequently, in episode thirty-four, we did a bit of a Summerton man update. At that point, there had not been any 
significant developments in the case. So I was forced to engage in a bit of creative license and uh, fabricate an update on the case. <laughs> uh, these are the kinds of things you have to do when people are baying for updates. But, um, but uh, and now here we are, episode 70, and, uh, and there's been a big development. There's, I urge anyone who hasn't, who is unfamiliar with it to familiarize themselves because it's one of the great mysteries of our time. And, and it's a mystery which is all the more dear to my heart because it belongs to the city of Adelaide, Australia. Uh, and so in a nutshell, in December 1948, in Somerton Park on the beach at Somerton Park, which is in Adelaide, in the morning of that day, 1st of December 1948, a man was found dead resting against a seawall. A couple of people, witnesses, reported having seen somebody matching his description the night before, including people who recounted having seen somebody carrying a man to that location where he was found dead. He was, uh, his identity was unknown. He was found with various items that gave investigators vague clues as to who he might be, and eventually they traced him to a suitcase that was found at Adelaide Railway Station containing other items, but all of the uh, identifying labels on his clothing had been removed, um, and uh, he was in his mid-40s, he was physically fit, he in particular had, and I'll come back to the significance of this in a moment, pronounced calf muscles, as might be observed in somebody who was a ballet dancer. Uh, His clothes were described as being American tailored and a couple of other items that were found that were associated with him were also American in origin. And uh, there were a couple of autopsies carried out, which essentially concluded that he was likely to have been poisoned. And, uh, And the clothing... Uh, a couple of items of clothing which were later found and associated with him bore the name T. Keane. Now, uh, an autopsy was then conducted, as I said, um, and subsequent to that, a plastic cast was taken of his head and shoulders. And uh, a tiny piece of paper was found during the second autopsy, which had been overlooked in the first autopsy. It was in the pocket of his Trousers, and on that piece of paper were the words Tamamushud in a distinctive font, and that means ended or finished in Persian. And that phrase appears on the final page of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, which is a poem that's been attributed to a 12th century Persian. Beautiful. And so, an extensive search was conducted for a copy of the book. The book was actually found in a car nearby, discarded. Uh, on Jetty Road in Glenelg, and there was a code in the back of the book, random letters that appeared to be some kind of code which cryptographers have been unable to decode. There was also a phone number belonging to somebody named Jessica Thompson who lived a couple of hundred metres away from where the body was found. She denied having any connection to the dead man but apparently was uh, had a strong reaction when she was shown the plastic cast. And interestingly, she later uh, investigated and seemed to have spoken Russian, seemed to have had an interest in communism, and seemed to, in fact, have known who he was, but never divulged who he, in fact, was. So 
the potential significance of these facts have been endlessly debated. This was a time where uh, obviously the Cold War was gathering steam. There were people mm. who were sympathetic to communism. There were Soviet agents around. They were particularly around in Australia because it was viewed as a soft target in security terms relative to Britain or America, but it had strong links to those countries. And there was also nuclear testing being carried out in mm. outback South Australia at that time, which of course was of interest to the uh, Soviet government. And spies were in the practice of giving each other books as gifts and including inscriptions or other coding in them as a way of communicating. And in fact, the Rubaiyat itself had been used in various spy-related cases, including being found at various spy-related homicides. And so police contacted the authorities overseas. They contacted Scotland Yard and the FBI, but nobody knew who this person was. And eventually they buried him. And ever since then, it's been sporadically speculated on. And then fast forward to the year 2021 and episode nine of the podcast. At that time, the exhumation of the Summerton man was carried out uh, following approval of that course by the South Australian government. DNA tests were carried out at that time. And we've been waiting since then basically to hear about what the results of those tests might be. And just a few days ago, on the 26th of July, uh, a person who was a long-time researcher, Abbott, mm. announced that he had, along with uh, a genealogist, Colleen Fitzpatrick, determined the identity of the man using the same kind of technique that we've seen in other cases like the Golden State Killer, where people cross-reference DNA with large DNA databases that are used in genealogical websites and yeah, right. they managed to get the DNA from, not from his body actually, but from a plaster cast of his head and shoulders. In recent years, DNA testing has increased in sophistication and I think that probably helped in this case because my understanding is that you can get DNA from rootless uh, strands of hair where in fact that used to be not uh, physically possible. So they, the people who were given his body have yet to confirm his identity, but, uh, but the connection has been made to, th through this method to a man named Carl Charles Webb. And Carl or Charles was an electrical engineer from Footscray here in Melbourne. Relatively little at this stage is known about his, his life and it's known that he his date of death was previously unknown and he was um, thought to have disappeared and his wife subsequently sought a divorce on that basis from him and moved to South Australia. No death record for him exists and last records date from April 1947 when he left his wife in Melbourne, I think, and she was reportedly subsequently living in Butte, South Australia, which is about 140 k's from Adelaide. And according to Derek Abbott, research indicates that he enjoyed betting on horses. So mm -hmm. the coded messages could be horse names or horse uh, relating to that habit. Webb was also fond of poetry and had written some of his own poetry, which might explain his possession of the Tamam Shud poem. And unfortunately, there are no photographs of him, which seem to have been huh. discovered. So they can't compare that to the 
plaster cast of the Somerton man or photos of the uh, body of the Somerton man. And um, that's where we are. So before I give you my own take, my own theories, of which I, of course, have many, I want to get a read from you. What's your, what's you were obviously following these events as well. Yeah. What's your, what's your reaction? I I must say that my initial reaction was, I think, one that is shared amongst mystery and conspiracy lovers. Mm. And that was a slight sense of disappointment with how Mm. banal the result (laughs) appears to have been. And I, (laughs) I say that I, I I do feel for obviously a man has died. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be sensitive around the fact that, that that is the case. Yeah. But uh, there was so much, Intrigue. I think the statute of limitations on sensitivity <laughs> expires after about 50 years, so you're okay. <laughs> and my mum was the first one to message me about it, actually. And she said, oh. this, like, his heavy Summerton man info shooting across the wire right now. Get on mm. it. Beep, 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 making all those kinds of noises. And out the window, I could just... I could just, I could hear, she called me and out the window I could hear, extra, extra, read all about it. And I knew hot info was coming in fast over the wire. Yeah. Stop the presses. And then I just read that he was some electrical engineer from Melbourne mm. and... Seems to have lived a life so unremarkable that when he died and his face was plastered all across newspapers all over the world, nobody knew him well enough to go, (laughs) oh, yeah, or cared about him enough to go, oh, yeah, that's Webby. He's a bit of a gambling. He's he's the life of the party. It's a real shame that he's gone. Like, it's just, it's interesting to think, like, if you died. Yeah, and then and then all the and then your face was put everywhere around the world, and people were just like, I've got no idea who. No, I've never seen that guy before. <laughs> yeah, look, I don't want to start. I share that. I share that reaction. I must say, and I think that probably there should be some kind of royal commission into it now, because during a fairly straightened time in South Australian. History: The government was spending money to exhume this man, mm. who just turned out to be a nobody. Um, now, look, I I'm not so quick to to lose hope. I think people who people who I've reached out to, and of course, I've got I've got a lot of uh, skin in the game, as it were. I've been I've been plugged into this conspiracy for some time now, ever since episode nine. Uh, have a variety of theories. Some people, in fact, who shared this information with me, and I'm thinking of our friend Harley, don't praise her, and also my yeah. brother, my brother Tom, who uh, shared the article with me, found something suspicious in the banality of the identity, and they mm. thought they thought, well, this is a little bit given all of the given the facts that I just related, which are so thick with intrigue. This is a real anticlimax, so much so that it almost suggests some kind of cover up by the mainstream media <laughs> of the real identity of the Summerton man. Bit of a misdirection 
uh, to try and put this matter to bed where in fact we just don't know how deep it goes. So in that spirit, uh, I, I did a, I've been doing a little bit of digging um, and I think, I don't know, you can tell me what you think of my my preliminary theories. I'm sure that I'm not the first person to make this connection, but when I heard the name Carl Charles Webb, mm. I immediately thought of the American former basketball player uh, Spud Webb, real name Anthony Jerome Webb, who uh, had a career, had a stellar career in basketball beginning in the late 80s and going right through to the late 90s, playing for Atlanta, playing for the Timberwolves, playing for the Orlando Magic. I'm sure we all know who he is. And (laughs) the interesting thing about Spud Webb is that he, despite being only five foot six, uh, was a winner of the NBA Slam Dunk contest and is in fact the shortest person ever to have uh, participated in that contest and did very well. He won in 1986 and he subsequently returned in 2010, I think, to adjudicate it. And it strikes me that a five foot six man who wins a slam dunk contest has to have very strong muscular calves. And that, of course, as I've mentioned, was one of the defining features of the Summerton man per the first and second autopsy. That, along with the fact that they both share the surname Webb uh, and have nicknames, Spud and Charles, uh, piqued my interest. So I reached out to the representatives of uh, Spud Webb uh, and asked him to comment on the saga. And so far I've heard nothing, which, again, only adds to my sense that something's gone on here. He's gone to ground, as they say, uh, presumably to try and avoid these kinds of inquiries. So I'm hoping that my persistence will pay off and I'll eventually hear from him. Maybe we'll get him on the cast. You've just been emailing. You've, you've looked up. Spud Web, Spud Web agent, and have sent an aggressive email, and have not heard anything back. Yeah, I sent, I sent lots of uh, news clippings, photographs of news clippings that I have of the Summerton Man case, and there was lots of double question marks in my email, which <laughs> I think is, a, I think is a good way to just show people that you mean business. <laughs> Lots of pictures of muscular calves with like poorly drawn arrows pointing yeah, out exactly. of them and question, question marks, hundreds of question marks. <laughs> pictures of the Riddler. Yeah. My, the wall of my study at the moment is just, is just photos of Spud Webb doing 360 dunks <laughs> next I to mean, autopsy photos of the Summited Man. Yeah, I'm... Um, I'm on board with you because I just don't accept that life is that banal. I think mm. that life is, it's life's a very exciting and mysterious place. And mm. I think to that point, I mentioned to you earlier in the week that I'm unwilling to accept that, <laughs> for example, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself in his jail cell yeah. because he couldn't face the prospect of a life in prison. Yeah, I'm, no way. I'm sure that in this beautiful tapestry that we call life, mm. he really was an Israeli government asset 
mm. who was given billions of dollars from Mossad mm. to buy private islands uh, so that he may lure the world's most powerful men into sex acts with trafficked underage women, secretly film those acts so that the Israeli government would have those tapes and be able to leverage said uh, tapes against the powerful men in the geopolitical sphere. That's the yeah. world I want to live in. Yeah. I don't want to live in a world where that didn't happen. It's no. It's just too It's too boring. boring. It's too boring. I mean, as if, you know, you just had a guy who was an electrical engineer, possibly came over here and had an affair with somebody and uh, <laughs> dramatically poisoned himself after putting a scrap of a poem in his pocket. What? No a, way. What a letdown. <laughs> I, I've got enough disappointment in my own life and I look to these conspiracy theories for a little bit of hope, a little bit of jazz. Yeah. Exactly. How are you supposed to go to your fucking nine to five every day yeah. in life and just grind away at the machine? Unless yeah. it should, you should be allowed to, you should, you know, it's, it's too, it's too lame to mm. think that COVID came to the world because somebody at the Wuhan market was drinking mm. a fresh glass of <laughs> bat brain and pangolin scale smoothie. Yeah, exactly. From the Pang- boot, from the pangolin milk. From the Wuhan boost juice stand, that's boring. You want to think that there was some kind of lab leak that's been covered up. Mm. That's where I am. I'm on the lab leak. I'm on the lab leak. You know, I refuse to live in a world where Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone wolf. No, I do not accept. Rubbish. Total rubbish. I say everybody with all your fancy schmancy DNA tools, I say put put them down. Put yeah. them down next Just use guys. your brain. <laughs> use your emotions to work <laughs> these out. I'm waiting for the next QAnon drop. And yeah. in the words of Agent Fox Mulder, I want to believe. Mm, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. The other thing I, sh- I should mention is, shout out to Harley, his view is that we should look at T. Keane. Now, I mentioned earlier a couple of items of clothing worn by the Summerton man bore, yeah. the, bore the name T. Keane. And, of course, now we know that wasn't his real name, but it was the name of his brother-in-law. Mm. Um, so did the brother-in-law slip the Tamam Shud inscription into his pocket? Did the brother-in-law kill him? Was the brother-in-law a Russian spy? I think mm, almost, almost certainly. <laughs> or did the brother-in-law just lend him a jacket? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I also, just as, again, as a bit of an aside, I absolutely love this. The guy who's been obsessed with the case, this professor, mm. We- mm. Um, this professor. Derek uh, Abbott. Derek Abbott. We could do a whole podcast. We could get Abbott on, yeah. Because of course, um, the hilarious the 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 thing about Abbott, which which um, is kind is this is the most interesting and sexy part of this story for me, yeah, is that he 
he's been obsessed with the Somerton Man case for years. He's a yeah. professor at the University of Adelaide, I believe. Mm-hmm. In, I'm not sure in what department. He's in the Somerton Man department of the University Fuck. of if Adelaide. That, if there's a Somerton Man department, I'm putting in an application. <laughs> 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 and he ended up... Um, he looked into this. Uh, it was somebody that he thought was connected with the case. I think mm. uh, so. Maybe so it was the ballet dance. Yeah, go on, John. You'd know more about this than me. So the woman that I mentioned earlier, Miss Thompson, who ha- whose nu- whose number appeared in the copy of the Rubaiyat that was found and associated with the Summerton Man. I think I think that this woman was her granddaughter. Right. I think you might be right. Yeah. yeah. Egan. Rachel Egan. Mm-hmm. And so Derek, yeah, sorry, you can finish the story, but my understanding is Derek basically sought her out because she had a link to the case. And then yeah. and then love blossomed. And then love blossomed. This is from an abc.net.au article from 2019. This really caught my eye and I mm-hmm. I have I have so many more questions. So I'm just going to read from the article. Mm. Uh here. So, after a decade of detective work, the professor had written to her, Rachel Egan, suggesting she shared the DNA of the dead man on Adelaide Summerton Beach, whose case has baffled professional and amateur sleuths around the world since 1948. When they first met at a fancy restaurant in Brisbane, Miss Egan thought the professor was a nerd who showed an unusual interest in her ears and teeth. He wanted to look at my ears and teeth. He was also after my DNA, Miss Egan said. <laughs> it's probably the first request I've had from a man to do that. Mm. And then check this. But the intrigue quickly went from the professional to the personal. Before the sunset the next day, Whoa. they had decided to marry. What? <laughs> it's what it says. That's insane. I ju- I, what I would give to have been a fly on the wall of mm. these interactions. And then she's that's, just that's one of those one weird trick things that the um, <laughs> that that like pickup artists just ask to look at her ears and teeth and have a DNA sample <laughs> and she won't be able to resist you. It will show it will show that you're such a high status male. Who's <laughs> <laughs> People have said that possibly Derek married me for my DNA. Miss mm-hmm. Egan laughs, and I think there is some truth to that. If I was the journalist here, I'd say. I'm sorry, Rachel. Can you just back up a second? Did you say? <laughs> did you say that you met him within the first 48 hours? That you were engaged to him within the first 48 hours of meeting? What the That's, fuck is that? Wow. That's the real mystery. Yeah. Imagine going. Yeah, I think he's a bit of a weird nerd, and then 24 hours later, you're engaged. Now they have a photo of the Summerton man's plaster bust. I think. Hanging in their oh, marital yes. home because they no way because they assumed that uh, he was with this Miss Thompson and that therefore that this woman was quite possibly a blood relative of the Summerton man maybe an illegitimate child was born and she was the child of that child but unfortunately Mr Abbott's uh, researchers have disproven that theory so yeah now he's just. Uh, married to some woman who bears no direct <laughs> relationship. I, I thought the same thing. Like, mm. what does that? What does that mean for for their relationship? Mm. Yeah, will they be having a some difficult discussions now where they 
He says, look, the, the thing that really added some frisson and some excitement to our union to me was this, was the summoning man thing. And, and now I've solved it and you've got nothing to do with it. It's kind of, I don't know what else we are. And now, now Abbott, the dirty dog, is off in Melbourne just hunting down the granddaughters of this web man. Mm. He's just out there just showing. <laughs> he's he's uh, going to bag me a web. Yeah. I need to look at those ears and teeth now. <laughs> I, can't, I can't not be with a woman who was related to the Summerton man. That's not the life for this man. Yeah. I can't bear the thought that some other scientist is out there just bearding the, the illegitimate children or grandchildren of the Summerton man. This will not, I didn't, I didn't, this is, I didn't put my life into this. Yeah. To, to not be able <laughs> to, to <laughs> engage in coitus. With I the never, offspring, I, never I need knew that. that that they married so quickly. That's so well. I didn't either. I looked so quickly. I looked this up today, and it just and, it, <laughs> and that sentence really leapt out at me. Yeah, I think that's more wacko than the whole thing. Before the sun set, <laughs> the next that's day, that's the real mystery had, here. Well, this is the thing. I'm even now. It's it's calling into question the uh, the authority for me yeah. of this. Of this Abbott fellow, I don't really know if I can is trust this, a man. I can trust. Is this a, man. a guy who jumps to conclusions? I mean, plainly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on uh, on the mar- on the uh, on the union of Derek mm. Abbott and Rachel Egan because, yeah, she's just some fucking woman now. She's yeah. nobody. Yeah, yeah. It's tough times in the in the Abbott Egan household. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to episode number 70 of Don't Praise the Machine, The Summerton Man. I'm just going to say update. I'm certainly not going to say that's a closed case because, as John no. said, it's almost it's almost asking, it's almost posing more questions mm. than it's solved. And we don't worry, DPTMers, we're going to keep on the case. John has got 200 Google Alerts mm. locked into his phone that just – Ping and fire every time Spud Webb or the Summerton Man. He gets a lot of NBA, he gets a lot of NBA news from those yeah. Google alerts, but he doesn't mind sifting through it all. And what do you want to say to everybody before I close out the podcast this week, John? I want to say thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of Don't Praise the Machine. Thank you again for your interest and correspondence during the week. And keep watching the skies, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody so much, much for tuning into episode number 70 of Don't Praise the Machine, the Summerton Man Update Special. As always, I'm set digitally next to my number one pod pangolin. It's going to be the man that's got a real special name. That's going to be the name of... Shonkalonga. Number one, Prod Pangolin Shankalonga. We can't wait to see you next week for episode number 71. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Here's Kenny's. 
at the podcast.